You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and I'm really excited that you've joined me for this conversation today with Dwight Friesen and Tom Sign, the authors of the brand new book, 2020's Foresight. Friends, I don't know if you've noticed, but our world is changing rapidly. From social media and our globally connected world to climate change, a pandemic, and systemic issues in our neighborhoods, nations, and world, we live in a place that can be scary. But as Dwight and Tom explore in their book and in this conversation, it's also a place of invitation. Those very things that can cause division and fear are also opportunities to be light in the darkness, to bring resurrection hope, to be a difference. And so they lead us in forecasting. How can we understand these changes that are coming to our housing situations, to our finances, to our families, to our churches, technology, justice, basically anything that you can think of. And then they invite us to consider these changes in light of the way of Jesus. And how do we reflect on what this full life is that God invites us to? And how do we live into that in light of these changes? How do we creatively plan to engage them for the kingdom of God? How do we thrive in this ever-changing world? So in this episode, we talk about questions such as, what is our image of the good life? Where is the invitation to join the Spirit? When, when we're afraid, what kind of questions can we ask? How do we see? How do we gain the eyes and ears to understand the opportunities in front of us? And Dwight brings up this really creative question of what's in your hand? What is in your life? And how do you enter that space with resurrection, hope, and action so that we can become the men and women that God created us to be? that we may share this kingdom hope, the fact that the tomb is empty. And friends, we only begin to scratch the surface in this conversation. So I do highly recommend you click on the link below, go ahead and buy the book, work through it in a community, learn from all of these amazing stories and insights that they share. But before that, friends, I pray that you find our conversation here to be a blessing, a challenge, and an encouragement. Dwight and Tom, welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. It's an honor to have you back, Dwight. And Tom, welcome for the first time. Oh, delight to be with you. Uh, uh, Phil, it is uh, a real privilege to be back with you. I have so loved watching the development of your podcast uh, kind of grow and the way it's uh, encouraging folks to catch the breeze of the spirit and the everyday stuff of life. It's uh, blessings on that. It's a real gift. Thank you. And hey, your audio is tip top this time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. I don't know what the deal was last time. (laughs) No, it's all good. So uh, you guys wrote a book together. Obviously, you know this uh, called 2020's Foresight. And I loved this book. It was uh, challenging. It was uh, encouraging, affirming. And so I think we have a lot of directions we could go. But let's just jump in with, can you guys sort of uh, help people dip their toes into the water of what this process project is? Well, I'll bat lead off here uh, because I asked Dwight to join me. As an older guy, I need all the help I could get. And we've had a good time working together. But uh, my second conversion experience was the first Earth Day. 
some over 50 years ago, I was working in a community college in Hawaii. And uh, after we had a presentation from a professor uh, about the climate challenges that we were facing, uh, they went out and started protesting. And they took all of the garbage laying on the beach in front of a motel and brought it and put it into lobby and said, we're not leaving until you promise not to do this anymore. And that kind of thing is unusual in an Asian Hawaiian culture. But the guy backed off, he promised, and that was the beginning of his, you know, of his wake up call. But for me, I, I realized that uh, for me, it was a vocational call to go back to school because I was concerned that churches tend to operate like it'll always be the 90s. And so we get surprised by change more than we need to. You know, for me, um, well, first of all, just the honor to work with Tom. Um, when I was a young church planter, out of the blue, uh, Tom called me up and, and invited me for coffee. And, you, you know, it's that breath of fresh air when, when, when an older uh, person notices a younger person and says, hey, I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, it's powerful, you know, and sometimes we forget that just that simple act of noticing someone and uh, expressing interest in them is so can be so life-giving so that was an honor in and of itself but you know it's funny we started writing this before 2020 you know 2020 is like this year that <laughs> seems like it keeps going down the crapper <laughs> you know every time you open the news or hear, hear the read the radio uh, read the newspaper or hear the hear the reports it's like something else seems to be going wrong and the reason, part of the reason why we wrote this book was to say, you know what, there is a spirituality of opening up to what's going on in our world so that you, we can actually learn to anticipate these things and not be completely blindsided. Now, we're not trying to say you can just be a prophet and know exactly what's going to happen. Otherwise, you know, we'd be, you know, we, we'd be rich betting on the stock market. But that's not what we're talking about. This book, though, is about helping us actually anticipate that the Spirit of God is active and is wooing us all the time to, to pay attention and to live responsibly to what we're hearing uh, so that we can innovate and help people uh, thrive rather than get overwhelmed. You know, it stands out to me that Tom, uh, when I, I always tell my wife about who I'm interviewing for the podcast, because we do a lot of the discussions together, but then I do the interviews. And when I was describing who you are, uh, Tom, she knows Dwight, you know, we went to Seattle school, they met in person, but I basically said, Tom is who every young church planter in the Pacific Northwest wants to be, right? He's the guy they all look up to. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's just an honor to have you both here. So when we talk about these challenges then, um, there is this invitation by Christ to join in that when difficulties come, you guys say that they're opportunities. So talk to us a little bit about anticipating what is coming and why that's important. Well, let me just lead off here. Uh, out of my experience that first Earth Day, I wound up uh, going back to school, wound up in Seattle, got my PhD at the University of Washington in history with a minor in foresight research. Mm -hmm. So I was taking courses in urban planning and business, a lot of areas. And uh, it, it became clearer and clearer to me that church leaders of all kinds need to take time to learn from people who are working with foresight. Now, you can't predict everything. Anybody that tells you what the stock market's going to be doing in six months, uh, I have no confidence in at all. 
But probability forecasting, you can predict the kinds of challenges that uh, Gen Z are likely to face in the next couple of years if the economy keeps going down the, down the drain. And in fact, as I was talking to you before, Phil, the millennial generation got hammered by the 0709 recession, and they're still behind economically. They're still postponing getting homes, having kids. And so we need to have church leaders that are, first of all, starting with the people in their churches. What are the new challenges that are likely to face the young ones and the older ones? And then step two that we'll talk about in a minute is to research what are innovative ways to help them find new options. Because one of the things that I admire with the Covenant Church is you guys started working for racial reconciliation way back at the beginning of the millennium. And you in invented this whole form of church planning where you, all your new church plants are multiracial and you're no longer an all white denomination and I talk about journey to mosaic. I won't get into that right now, but you have a brilliant education program. And uh, so we need churches to look over the fence and other denominations, but also do what urban planners do, environmental planners, business innovators, they research best practices all over the planet. I, I know, Phil, you guys talk a lot about story in your, on this podcast and, um, and, I, and rightly so, right? Because uh, woven into every form of spirituality is this sort of narrative arc. Um, and, uh, you know, there's different ways you can come at story. Uh, one of them is that every story has a sort of beginning, middle, and end. I mean, it uh, doesn't get more basic than that. Um, and uh, the church historically has been really good at sort of beginning. We're looking back at our histories, reflecting back on scripture and our various church traditions. It's kind of that backward looking thing. How does it, how do, where does the story begin? How do we think about it like that? And we really value uh, the, the sort of the, the middle. The, what does it mean to be here and now? What does it mean to serve and love? We don't, may not always do it perfectly, but the value around practicing our faith and living it out, trying to love God, love neighbor, love self, that's kind of that service here and now thing. What's weird, though, is that we've often collapsed the future into eschatology, and as though it's mostly about end times or escape. Um, and you've written about this, right? You've brought, uh, you have a future orientation that helps us uh, anchor the, the, the future in the here and now. And so we want to look at force, um, anticipating work or foresight work or probability work as a way of honoring the whole arc of the story and saying, and to almost participate in, in realizing or imagining what God's shalomic vision might look like for us tomorrow in light of where we are today, because there's an arc. Tomo what we do today shapes tomorrow. And what's happening tomorrow, or what's, what's happening now is gonna invite a different kind of response. And all this book is doing is putting really practical tools into the hands of everyday people so that we don't have to be caught off guard. So we can actually imagine what that future part of the story will be, or might be. Yeah, I love that. You know, the book, it, it, 
you guys in there talk about it being for leaders of any, any type of organization, right? But I really think too, even if you, uh, I guess it depends on how you define leadership, of course, but I think no matter who you are, this is about a full life faith, right? That yes. our world is going through accelerating change that you guys talk about. So you talk about the climate crisis, uh, the income divide, the, the problem of the consumeristic, materialistic story, the racial divide and tension, uh, the declining church. And so in all of this, it really affects anyone who is following right. Jesus and trying to have a whole life faith of what do we do in this world that technology is changing, that all these things are happening. If we're going to follow God, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to know a little bit of what's coming. That's um, right. And Amen. You know, one of the things that's been interesting, you know, it's true. We initially were thinking primarily about church leaders. Um, there's no doubt. That's kind of was in our imagination. That's how we, where we spent a lot of our energies. But we're finding that uh, it's already informing conversations between church and city, city groups. Mm -hmm. But the things that's been really exciting have been to hear, like, Sunday school teachers encounter the book. And then all of a sudden guiding their kids into having a different conversation, Right. So there, so now, like um, you know, just picture a, a second grade Sunday school class uh, where the teacher says, "Okay, what's it? What's going? What do you? What do you anticipate school is going to be like in the fall with COVID nineteen? Mm -hmm. How might things be different? You don't know for a hundred percent, but the kids already have an imagination to begin thinking about how it might be different, what some of the challenges might be. Jot those. Th they jot those things down, right? And then they begin to. And then the teacher might ask, so what do you think Jesus might invite from you or from us? What might it be like to, to discover the love of Jesus in the middle of a time when you can't play in the way you used to, or you can't be with your teacher in the way you used to, or whatever it might be. And then the dare is to innovate and to an anticipate what could we do instead? When, when, when such and such happens, what could, your, what could be a response that might uh, help you become the kind of uh, uh, follower of the spirit that you hope to be. So this is taking faith from just being something in your mind of a set of beliefs to having a real impact in the world. That's right. And having an impact, I would, I'm so glad I'm older right now. I wouldn't want to be a parent these days hmm. because they are busy trying to anticipate what it's going to be like for the kids if they go back into that classroom what are the risks they're facing? What are the challenges? Christian colleges are in crisis right now because they never anticipated anything of this scope would happen. And so they're stuck with a lot of brick and mortar that they can't afford to sustain anymore. So they are involved. So a lot of people are dealing very immediately with change that we wouldn't even imagine uh, three years ago, four years ago. And so uh, that then leads again to the question, so what are the creative options? And that's where we really need to become innovation researchers and train people to look at ideas from all over the planet so that when we have the space to do that, then we have a broader range of ways to respond uh, which re in ways that reflect the ways of Jesus. You know, in Seattle school language, we have been at 10,000 feet so far. 
So let's take it down to the neighborhood, to the ground. So for anyone listening to this, no matter where they are, whether they are a stay-at-home mom, uh, an engineer, a work-at-home software engineer, a teacher, a, you know, in school, retired, whatever it may be, it starts with anticipating what is coming. And one of the things I love that you guys talk about in your book is Lectio Divina for your neighborhood. So can you guys get us a little bit into what does, no matter where they are in their life, how do you begin to listen, to pay attention? What's the first step? This is Dwight's area. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say, um, you know, in the middle of COVID, uh, we have, uh, if you're like uh, our family, at least, or right, your listeners, I, we have found ourselves walking our neighborhoods more than we ever, we ever have. Mm. Um, and what's so interesting, like the, the whole point of Lectio is to just open ourselves up to the, to the possibility that the spirit of God might be speaking to us through the ordinary stuff. And we want to, in a sense, the, the, first, the first stage of Lectio, as, you, as your listeners probably know, is this space where you kind of open up and sort of let go of your predetermined interpretations and you just invite the spirit to help you see with fresh eyes what you're experiencing so when early into the covid uh experience and i was beginning to walk my neighborhood more regularly i first wanted to just begin to notice what was happening and i'd love to see people do this in their in their own neighborhoods but what i did is i on a big poster uh, and, uh, uh in my in my office space here i have a i drew a map of my neighborhood and as I would go for a walk, I would just uh, note to myself what changes I was observing. Where did I hear stories of people who were getting sick or dying? Where did I see businesses that were closing? How were the schools changing? What was like just trying to notice things? And I would post them, put them on my post-it notes, um, and put them on my on my little map. Then I began to do that, overlay that with Black Lives Matter protests and and stories and things that would help me to anticipate some of what was being what was being revealed in my own context that way. Mm. And so part of it, what what I was doing was just going about my everyday life, walking my neighborhood and trying to notice and asking the spirit of God to help me see with fresh eyes the place that he already loves so much. And, um, and so it's just that simple, right? And then, and then you begin to ask, then you begin to reflect on it, right? So there's movement happening, businesses that were open or closing, just that example, for instance, all of a sudden I can begin to reflect, okay, in the kingdom of God, in the shalom of God, how might I, uh, participate or join God in anticipating a, a different way of being in our world. Um, the idea would be then to, um, as I begin to listen to what's been happening in my neighborhood, simply to see the progression and the changes that are occurring and to be curious, what might the spirit of God invite? How might I be innovative with my neighbors? Maybe the most powerful thing could be that I just go and I grieve with the shop owner and I just meet them and lament and just join them in their sadness, right? They had a dream. And now that dream is, is not going the way they had imagined to just meet them in their humanity, right? Sometimes you get to be proactive and you get to uh, create something new. The question is not about the product. The question is joining the spirit into the invitation to presence. And that's really what we're after. And it seems then that there's an invitation to do that, uh, not just in your neighborhood, but in your place of work, 
listening for your coworkers or the direction of the business, even in your own family with what your children might be going through or your parents or your grandparents um, in your church. This is an invitation to listen in the places that you are. You know, I love you guys use this quote by uh, Dostoevsky that one cannot love what one does not know. And so there's this invitation to taking things from the abstract to the real rootedness. You know, when I, when I was younger, uh, and, and not that I'm, you know, <laughs> however old I am now, but um, I, I think more when I was in college, uh, I was learning a lot about poverty and a lot about social justice and working with the oppressed. And I made the mistake of thinking because I knew a lot about it, I was doing something about it. But when you actually make it real in your place, Yes. That's sort of where you can do it. I think sometimes we get we get paralyzed because we think, well, what do I do about this systemic issue affecting right. all 50 states? What do I do? And the answer seems to be in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church, in your school, listening well. That's right. One of the things that has impacted me is the tradition from which my friend Dwight comes from. He's from the Anabaptist tradition. And I was converted late in my high school experience into a kind of privatized evangelicalism. I cleaned up my language, but my life continued pretty much the same. And what the Anabaptists call us to in a world like this is to a much more serious whole life faith. And part of what we reflect back to uh, the 70s and 80s, Ron Sider wrote a book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. And he called us to whole life discipleship. And that is a new concept for both evangelical and mainline Christians. Yeah. It isn't just a little devotional compartment anymore. It's the, whole, it's the whole deal. And so what we saw for a while were communities starting all over North America of people not only living together, but having a common budget in order to free up time and money and the difference they made in their neighborhoods because they changed their notion of what good lives looked like uh, was remarkable. Now it wasn't perfect and the group struggled, but my God, the difference they made was really quite remarkable. And one of my concerns, Phil, since you work in the area of, of really helping people focus on formation that I don't see much research on is that our levels of participation in prayer, scripture, those things are all going downhill, partly because the increased connection, I think, on the screens in our lives. But we desperately need to help people find the vitality of a serious faith that touches every single part of our life, defining where we spend our time and our money and what we raise our kids for. Yeah. Phil, one of the most beautiful things that I've I've grown and learned from Tom has been watching him read the newspaper. Um, you know, we live in an age where there's so many changes that are happening, and so many of them fill people with fear. When uh, watching Tom read the newspaper, it's almost like watching someone who reads a whole, <laughs> something that would terrify most people. And what he says is, "Okay, where's the divine? Where's the invitation to join the spirit?" He sees almost every article as a shalomic design opportunity, as though here's my chance to discover a new opportunity to look at what following Jesus looks like. Um, and that's, that's a radical thing, right? Like that means that all of a sudden when, I'm, when I feel that impulse to become afraid, 
there's also an impulse from the spirit that's wooing me, that's whispering through the breath of, of, of the divine to join uh, into the, the new change makers of the, of, the work of, of the work of God in our time and in our place and in the particular things and through the small things and through the ordinary things. Um, I just think that that's a remarkable opportunity. So, I mean, I think even my own heart, one of the practices that I've, I've begun to develop is like when I begin to feel afraid, to shift it, to just ask, okay, how do I join? How do I join? Rather than cower, this is my chance, you know? That's a beautiful practice. Whatever we face, there's an invitation to an opportunity. I think that's how you guys could put it in the book, right? There's problems coming. There's a, a climate crisis. There's a housing crisis. There's, you know, each person listening to this podcast has obviously been affected in some way or another by the pandemic and all of the, the issues we have at a systemic level, at an individual level, and an invitation to opportunity. How do you get the eyes? Tom, how did you, how did God form your eyes to see things that way? What, what is the first step for someone hearing this? Uh, just following up on what Dwight just said, uh, reading not only the newspaper, but all the events around us that fill our world these days, it's a jumble and it's disruptive and it's overwhelming. But if we can spot them as opportunities, uh, for example, uh, he mentioned New Changemakers, my little blog site, newchangemakers.com. And I mentioned in there about the possibility of a housing crisis unlike anything we've ever seen in the United States because people haven't been able to pay their rent. So we could see homelessness at a level we've never seen before. So I did a post where I went back in uh, 2008 a reformed church in New Jersey facing a situation in which the numbers of homeless people in their communities increasing dramatically started a Christian nonprofit, a housing cooperative. They bought 30 different properties and then they worked it out to provide homes for people that were on the streets at a rate they could afford because they were controlling this nonprofit. Well, that's brilliant, and that's why we not only want to help people learn to research the new challenges, but research the creative, compassionate ways to respond to those and read the good news stories along with the daunting challenges and start to do some marrying up and matching up of the possibilities of the ways that God can use our lives in ways we never imagined. I think I think one of the things uh, I, would, I I can't speak for Tom in terms of what uh, how he developed eyes to see opportunities like he has, but when I think of him and when I think of even my my own development of eyes to see those kind of things, I think it is rooted in the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's rooted in this notion that what seems darkest, what seems like the most horrible, unimaginable thing that you would ever you would never want to have see happen that somehow if we don't turn away if we say thy will but not, but not <laughs> thy will but not mine and we open up to it then resurrection is possible as people of faith you know we believe that it's because of the resurrection that we can move towards the dark towards the fearful and to not be afraid fear makes love impossible because it's about it becomes about self protection 
But when we love, then the whole world opens up. And this is a time when there is so much, there is, we could live in fear. Every opportunity around the, every, every news story seems to invite fear, but Christ. You know what I mean? Like, and that's a, that's that whole, that's that whole life formation that you're talking about. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned in the book and, um, you know, Jamie Smith's book, Desiring the Kingdom, highly recommend it. Plus he's from Calvin College, so he's got that going for him. But, um, you know, it's the liturgies or the practices um, liturgies being another word for the practices that uh, we participate in, whether it's going to the mall, watching a movie, listening to a podcast, whatever. Um, I think one thing you guys said in your book that, that I think is so true is I don't even know if we're always aware of how we're being shaped. Uh, I know the movie Social Dilemma just came out on Netflix. I've heard that it's really fascinating, gives some really interesting insight into how social media and technology are shaping us. One of the things I would love for you guys to go into a little bit is one, do, does everyone realize the ways that they're being shaped? And two, what do we then do about it? Because you guys are, you guys are talking here about starting a cooperative and uh, jo you know, seeing the goodness and the difficulty of what's coming about. But to me, we have to already have a heart to say, those things matter. And I, as an individual in community with others have an opportunity to actually do something about it. If we, what do we do about not knowing how we're being shaped? And then what would you encourage people to do to maybe say, hey, to have this full life faith, here's some things you should be aware of. Well, let me, let me bat lead off on this one because I've been concerned since I was a young Christian and I started to get influenced by all of those incredibly challenging Anabaptist traditions uh, to pay attention to the extent to which the culture is shaping us. And I think with the, the sophistication of all the new tech, it's only going to become more formative with Instagram envy, shaping our sense of what is good life and what is important. And that's where I think we need to have people who are really artists at heart to start designing other ways to live life actually design new forms of housing. Christine and I live in a cooperative housing arrangement with people on three floors, have a meal together every week. Back before COVID, we did a lot of hospitality, but uh, it's a small step in trying to do uh, what the Amish have done and what uh, Christian communities, Catholic, and uh, out of the Orthodox tradition do, is to try to create a way of life where the values are more consistent with what we claim to believe as followers of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, there's no, sometimes I think back on, on, the, on God coming to Moses after Moses had been living out in the wilderness, uh, shepherding and doing all that kind of stuff. And at one point, if, if I remember the story correctly, uh, God asks Moses, what's in your hand? And uh, and I think, and it's, a, it's the shepherd's staff and he ends up leading the people and, you know, you get the idea, right? But I feel like that's the question for a lot of us. We're in a unique context. Only we're there. Like no one has the same experience. Like whoever's listening to this right now, you know, I think the question that God is asking is what's in your hand, mm -hmm. in your context? What do you see? Only you see it quite that way. What's the invitation of the spirit to you? Only you hear that. And, and, 
and and so that 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 simple question of saying, okay, this is my moment to say yes to following Jesus. You know what I'm experiencing more and more though, and it's uh, it's really concerning, especially for my friends who have kids is saying, well, what's in my hand? What's in my hand is my job and e-learning and homeschooling and uh, running to this event and making sure I can pay my bills. And then I got to check my Facebook and I've got this thing, you know, I think there becomes an overwhelming what's in my hand or hands is so much more than I can carry. Mm. And what, what do we, what do we offer to them? One of the things that Christine and I have been doing that. Uh, throughout our entire marriage is we go on prayer retreat four times a year where we take two days just to stop, mm. stop everything. Our golden retriever goes with us. She doesn't always get as involved in the spiritual part, but <laughs> she likes the outing. But we, we start asking what is important, what is of value, what do we need to reconsider where, what do we need to reclaim? How do we need to change how we steward time, resources, uh, being accessible to neighbors and loved ones? And so uh, I, I recommend at least twice a year for couples to get a couple days away. And that's harder to do now because <laughs> we can't go to the regular places. But, uh, you know, running a camper or whatever it takes to get some time away uh, might have friends that let you stay in another part of their house. We have a, uh, a couple who have been pastors of a Lutheran church that make that available to us. But I, I think we, we need time because of the, the speed and disruption of the world that we live in. Yeah, and of course, that's not just a couple's thing. That's for everybody, whether however you're relationally oriented and set up and all that kind of thing. But there, that level of intentionality is really challenging these days, like you're saying, to, uh, Phil, um, in part just because of the speed of things. But yep. those things that you mentioned, those are the things in your hand. Those are the very things to begin with. You work. You have a family. You're on Facebook. Those are not, those are not distractions. Each of them, how you use them, how you let them in your heart, how you prioritize them, how they dare you <laughs> as a, to discover or to wonder, what, how is this an invitation to follow the Spirit? How? We don't even usually think of that. We just assume, oh, this is, this is my secular job. This isn't. No, there's no such thing. It's all gift. It's all gift. Sometimes when we take it, when we really, when we have a moment to pause, it does kind of invite us to slow down and to take an account. That's been one of the, the the surprise benefits of COVID. I know I know a lot of folks who, because they're home more, they're not traveling as much. They're asking different kinds of questions about what is the good life, and they're discovering that being in place, getting to know their neighbors. In some cases, you know, having more time with their roommates or partners or kids or whatever that looks like, there's something that's speak, you know, <laughs> that's that that is an invitation. So the question of what's in my hand, it's it's never, it's never too much. You can begin with whatever is there, and then just follow the spirit. The spirit might say, you know, set that thing down for a minute so you can so you can think a little bit more spaciously. But maybe not. I don't know. Only you know, but you have to listen. You have to there's no technique for listening to the spirit of God. 
It's something that you learn to do by following, by, by trusting that, that light breeze when, when you can feel it on the back of your neck. I don't know how you, maybe that's going too woo-woo, too mystical. <laughs> no, no, no. It's certainly not Anabaptist. <laughs> uh, but uh, just one example of what you're talking about, Dwight, is a professor at Whitworth College in Spokane has a summer retreat for Gen Z folks where um, – he has them come away for six weeks and leave their cell phones home. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them Amazing. were sleeping with their cell phones, dealing with, you know, doing stuff throughout the night as an older guy can't even imagine that. But they, they, they had to live for six weeks and they discovered things. They discovered, hey, you know, we really enjoy conversations because I've heard of, Gen Z folks that sit in a, in, in a restaurant, you know, half dozen, dozen of them all texting one another instead of talking. And so uh, the opportunity to be quiet is the opportunity to listen. And that's what Dwight has been calling us to. Yeah, I think that listening aspect, I mean, that's the, that's the importance of fasting, right? If, mm -hmm. if you know, there's too much noise, you can't hear. And so maybe uh, in, in a challenge for people would be uh, ask yourself, what are you holding? What is the good life? And then maybe even I would just encourage rotate through putting different things down, even good things and seeing a new perspective to hear the place in your life, to, to learn possibly a, a new space. I, your guy's book is full of stories of people innovating in different ways because they heard well, and then they reflected on that, on what are we holding? What is the good life? And then they took these bold steps in community to live that out fully. And some of the stories might seem crazy to people, right? If you read the book, y'all, how could I ever do that? But they probably felt that way too before they made those choices, right? Right. Well, and I think we can learn that we can throw better parties. Mm -hmm. like even in COVID days, we can find new ways uh, to have friends over, out of doors, social distancing, face masks, but do things that delight and honor people and celebrate the goodness of God's creation. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a youth pastor in Bend, Oregon, and part of their youth ministry, in their youth room, they had a big bulletin board. And it was, a, it was designed to sort of be a sharing space. So like on one side of the board, it said like, I have extra. And on the other side, it said, I need right? Mm. Kind of straightforward. It set up an opportunity for one person who has extra to, to give to someone who might need something. And it also, you know, a chance of express vulnerability and generosity, all that stuff, right? Beautiful. Yeah. COVID happens. The church can't, they can't gather. What they did was they took that idea of I have extra and I need, and they took it to Facebook. This became what, uh, has, what became uh, Pandemic Partners, which has been featured on NPR and reported in the news all over the country. One youth pastor just saying, this is something that we already do. And now the need seems even extra. It's just, the innovation is often something uh, nestled within what you're already doing, being invited to, um, into a new realm, to think of it just slightly aslant, you know? Tell us about the role of gratitude in that, because that seems like that would be pretty central. Yes. Well, gratitude is central. And Dwight, as you were sharing that, uh, I can remember reading some of those stories. 
Uh, and the examples show that people were creating and giving and sharing out of gratitude because they realized while some people were in such difficult places, they had the capacity to care and to share. So a uh, life of gratitude, even in times like this, that's a possibility. Yeah. You know, I don't always know what exactly how gratitude functions, right? Like somehow when we feel grateful, we're more likely to risk serving and giving. And somehow when we receive something and we feel that sense of gratitude, we want to continue. Like it, it feels like it's this generative thing that once it begins, it's like a force for beauty in the world, you know? Um, I think at the, for me, I think for me, gratitude that I've been, that I've been, that I've been witnessing during this era of COVID especially has been people being overwhelmed that others have noticed them in some way. I see you. I see what you need. I see that you're alone. I see that you're afraid. And I want you to know that you're not alone. And I see you and you matter. And I don't have much, but what I have, I'll share with you. Maybe it's just an acknowledgement. Maybe it's that roll of toilet paper from early on or, or whatever it is, right? But somehow it, that gratitude connects us as humans. And yeah, and somehow we know in, our, in the core of our being in that moment that we are not alone, that we're needful of each other and we are a gift. And I'm so grateful as an ancient guy during this COVID time that both people in our community and neighbors next door do some shopping for us. You know, I, I like going to the store, but I realize there's a risk these days. And so I'm very grateful. And then I try to reach out by, through computers and phones and other ways to check in on people that I know are alone and uh, nobody's, nobody's contacting them. So there's, there's ways for us all to reach out and be the compassion of Christ, even in times like these. Mm. It's very hope-filled. Uh, I'd like to read a passage because I, I think leaving uh, without talking about resurrection hope for a minute wouldn't be right. So, uh, you know, I, I think this is the line. It says, the, the resurrection of Christ is not simply a means for escaping this world, nor is it some kind of delusional fantasy that it'll all work out for you and the ones you love. Rather, resurrection hope looks death in the eye and says, you're not the boss of me. It looks grief and suffering in the eye and does not turn away. Resurrection hope plays a cosmic, though at times painfully real, game of chicken with evil, and evil always flinches. That, that's such a beautiful invitation it's challenging it's encouraging that. it's so full of hope tell me about that line and the resurrection hope well let me if i can just go to N.P. Wright, uh, a lovely guy in britain who writes books about the hope of god mm. and i was converted into an evangelicalism where i was used to sing the songs this world is not our home we're just a passing mm. through and I no longer believe this. This world is our home. We're not passing through. And through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, all things will be made new. Mm. We are looking forward to a new creation, a new celebration, a new sense of festivity, renewal, and healing. 
and you can read them in the prophets, particularly in the book of Isaiah. The imagery of hope and homecoming and restoration are huge, mm -hmm. and we need to start our lives and our days every day by, by connecting to what God is on about, God's mm -hmm. purposes, now and in the future. Mm -hmm. All things made new. Yeah, it's not good. Um, Cordell West quite famously said that I'm not an optimist, but I am a prisoner of hope. Mm. And, and I think that, that that captures, I think, the essence of what we're trying to tap into in this book. You know, like whatever is coming our way, uh, God is able. God is not surprised. God's not caught off guard. And we are exactly the people who he's created for this moment. This is our chance. What's in our hands is exactly the right things. Your ability to listen to the spirit, um, your ability to innovate, to see an opportunity to do what's within your power to do, even if it seems small and insignificant, this is our chance. And <laughs> it sounds so simple, so simple. Because it is. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have a, be a pastor or even have a podcast. All you have to do is be a human being who seeks to say yes to Jesus and to seeks to love God by loving your neighbor in your neighborhood. It's that simple. And you're not going to do it right. There's not even, not even such a thing. You just try. You, it, you it, innovation is not solving the problem. It's making a mini experiment. It's trying something. It's doing something instead of nothing. It's noticing and saying, hey, I love you too much to not act on this. Amen. That's a beautiful invitation and I think a great closing word. Thank you both. Uh, for people to go deeper, one, you know, I'll put links and everything to the book below, but where can people find each of you to go deeper with your other work, to explore in other ways, possibly connect with you? Where should people go? Well, newchangemakers.com, people can get a hold of me through that site. And some of the things, uh, it's focused on the book right now, but I'm going to get back to posting innovative examples every week, particularly regarding the re relate racial issues that were, uh, we have sh should have de dealt with decades ago. My God, the, the, the reality is an old white guy, I'm discovering every day ways that our society uh, does not work well for people of color. And so in this election is partly about that. We need to find ways to bring hope. So that would be a place to contact me, newchangemakers.com. Dwight? Can I interject really quick? Um, for people who are listening, that is an awesome place to go then to find uh, stories of people who are doing things around questions you may have or things you're hearing, movement uh, you may be sensing. That, that's such a great place to go then to, to not have to reinvent the wheel necessarily, um, but to maybe gather some inspiration. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and he and Tom, he put he puts up uh, new articles almost every week. It's pretty awesome. Um, I have a site as well, uh, DwightFriesen.com, just my uh, my first and last name. Um, and you're welcome to contact me there. My my writings and my uh, my blog, it's all there. Um, but here's a deal for anyone who is part of the of your podcast. Tom and I would like to make a special offer available, and that's simply this: that if you, as listeners, if you have a, if you and a few friends want to go 
through this book as a small group discussion. Um, just contact us through um, and, and let us know that you heard this through this podcast and Tom and or I would love to join you and your group on a Zoom call and join you in the conversation. And maybe we can help out uh, as you brainstorm or just celebrate what you're doing or have any answer any questions you might have for, uh, for us. Uh, let us know that you heard this uh, on the podcast and we would love to join you and your group. And we put questions at the end of every chapter. It's designed as a study book for small groups, college, seminary. We'd love to Zoom in and have a chat with you. And I'm also available to Zoom in with churches that are looking for new ways forward. Dwight's a busy guy teaching. I've got a little time on my hands. And if there's a group of leaders that would like to get together for an hour or so by way of Zoom, uh, I would love to meet with you and hear your stories and struggles. Well, both of you, thank you so much for the time. I know we didn't even scratch the surface of everything in this book, so I do highly recommend people going and checking out, but thank you so much. This was a blessing to me, and I know a blessing to those who listen. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, and Dwight, it's always good to dance with you every time I come away delighted, so thank you. Well, back at you, Tom. And uh, Phil, for you and your podcast, thanks for all that you're doing. The world's a better place for it and for you. Oh, thank you. Amen, friends. Hey, friends, Phil here again. Before you go, I just want to say thank you again for joining us for this special episode. And don't forget to go check out 2020's Foresight at the link in the description below. I also do encourage you to go to newchangemakers.com and dwightfriesen.com to connect with Dwight and Tom in even deeper ways and check out all of their amazing work. And friends, if you enjoyed this episode, we recently opened our Patreon page where people who have been blessed by Rua Space can help support this ministry. The podcast, the blog, the videos, the yoga faith classes, kind of everything we offer. For $5 a month, you can help keep this ministry alive. And as a bonus, we offer exclusive content to our Patreon members. Live spiritual discipline practices, extra podcast episodes, more blog posts, and even more things in the pipeline. So I do encourage you to go check out that Patreon page if you feel so led. And finally, friends, we do interview like these all the time. So I'd love to invite you just to go check out those archives. We had Dwight on the podcast previously. That was a really great episode, as well as many other men and women who can teach us from their own experience how to make space for what matters most in our lives. So friends, as you go forth, many blessings as you navigate this ever-changing world. May the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless you with the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Until next time, friends, grace and peace be with you.